so we're going to, uh, um, and we'll go back up to the beginning of chapter 3. And uh, we're going to read these verses again, but we already covered them last week. We're going to hit chapter 7, but I want you to see the, the husband and the wife verses together. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. What does he say likewise for? He's already said we need to be sub subject to uh, human institution, uh, govern the governing authorities, which is why I'm wearing my mask and all that stuff where I'm supposed to, right? Um, that slaves are to be subject to their masters. And now he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, this tells me that there were probably more women who were believers than men and that these were your typical, you know, Roman men and, you know, they're very patronymic and uh, or patriarchal. And uh, in order to, uh, you know, the woman could say, well, you know, I, I have equal worth to you, uh, you know, because the Lord Jesus has given me that. And what the apostle Peter here is saying, no, we want you to win your husband over. And... That's the purpose. When they see you respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry and clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." Likewise, husbands, live with, your live with your lives, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I think that is interesting. And we also find when the Apostle Paul addresses husbands and wives about whether they should restrain themselves from sexual contact or not, that the only time that they should do that is during a time when they're devoting themselves to prayer. So there's a lot of concern among the apostles here about men and women continuing to have the correct focus in that relationship that they have with one another, that they still have a healthy relationship with the Lord and that nothing that happens between them, good or bad, interferes with that particular uh, focus. So let's, I'll stop the share now. Um, so women are not inferior, and although Peter uses the, uh, refers to the wife as, quote-unquote, the weaker vessel, he's not speaking of character but physical strength. If you compare an average woman to an average man, she possesses around 60% of the strength of a man. And uh, there's no more obvious example of this than the current crisis in women's sports where transgender women, understand a trans woman is a sex man, that means this is a man with an XY chromosome that believes that he is a woman and who has pursued chemical and perhaps even uh, surgical alternatives. But it doesn't change the fact if you've gone through puberty, you have an advantage, period. And these men that are trans women are dominating uh, women's sports. And it's, it's, it's sad. I, it doesn't matter what it is, and in some cases it's a physical sport, and women are getting hurt because of this. There's a reason why there are separate women's and men's sports. Uh, men were designed by God to be the hunters and the warriors. And whether that offends people or not, I'm, I'm really unconcerned. Science is on my side when it concerns this. That doesn't mean that women can't fight. It doesn't mean that women can't be strong. Uh, you know, I've said before, <laughs> there's, there's a lady in my gym, and I don't, she's, she's Asian. Um, and I say that because many Asians are very petite. Yeah. And so her frame is, is quite petite. But man, she's got some legs on her. You know, she's got this little narrow waist, but she gets over there and squats as much as I do. You know, I'm just like, oh, wow. But she's probably 25, and she's an athlete. So we're not comparing an athlete that's far younger to, you know, you, you, apples to apples. We need to compare. So let's take a 25-year-old male athlete and put him next to her. No comparison, right? You, you know, you put uh, women and men next to each other in the 100-meter dash. No comparison whatsoever. 
in any combat sport, a woman doesn't need to be in a combat sport with a man. It's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. You get busted up, all right? So this is, this is the concern, and anybody that has worked with women in abused situations understands that there are men who are stronger than the woman and can be deadly, dangerous, destructive uh, in that situation. And so, you know, they didn't have social workers in, in the first century. They didn't have any ability to mitigate, you know, the, the man and the woman. And ba basically, if he wanted to get rid of her, he could just get rid of her, right? If he wanted to hurt her, he could hurt her, and there would be really no social uh, or, or legal recourse. So the Apostle Paul is saying, win them over, be gentle. And he's telling these men who are in a relationship with a woman, you need to be understanding uh, when it concerns the woman. Um, God established an order at creation. In the natural, this order is unalterable. Even when obfuscated, by contemporary attitudes toward gender. God established an order in the home. The husband is supposed to lead, but he's to be the kind of leader that Christ told all of us to be, servants. He said, the greatest among you must be, what? The least, like a child, right? The first will be last and the last will be first. So he is to lead. He needs to lead. He needs to stand up. He needs to, he needs to make decisions, but not just as a tyrant, not because of what he wants, not because of what his uh, agenda is, but because he loves his wife. And that's what we find in Ephesians chapter 5, right? Uh, it begins by saying that Christians are all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to their husbands, and then it says, husbands, love your wives. And the word is uh, agapao, agape, right? This sacrificial love, that that is what is to happen. So that is the ideal. That's what the Lord wants to have happen. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's, there's no order there, that you know, it's just kind of a whatever. Um, you know, there are homes where essentially you know, there might be a child in the home that is the de facto leader. You know, it's, you know, what, is, what, is the, what does the kid want? And that's what everybody does. And that's not the, that's not the way. And you've seen classrooms like that. Um, I'm sure your classroom was never allowed to be like that, but you certainly have, as I have, observed teachers who just, uh, there's a kid in the classroom who gains dominance. There's always a dominant figure. We are, we're herd creatures, okay? There's always an alpha. There's always an alpha, always. And that is supposed to be a man who is underneath the authority of God. That's who it's supposed to be, right? So when you get in a classroom situation, and you have got some mouthy kid in the class that is basically running the class, and the teacher is having to do circles around that kid, it's inordinate, or it's disordered, it's, it's destructive to the class. There's no learning that happens in those situations, right? And, you know, as you and I have discussed, Sue, you have to get rid of that kid if they won't pay attention. And administrators that keep boomeranging kids like that back in your classroom are not helping anybody. They may be helping their caseload because they don't know what to do with the kid, but they're, they're destroying the learning that's going on in your class because there's always a dominant figure. And when there is a healthy authority that is in charge, there's order. When there's not, there's disorder. Look at our country right now. Not my president, right? And previously, I just listened to a lengthy uh, teaching by the same fellow uh, that I um, played for you guys on Sunday, um, uh, Vadi Bakum. I'm listening to a lot of his stuff lately. He's got a lot to say about uh, social justice and race and these issues that are, you know, at the forefront of the country. And uh, he did not have healthy things to say about Barack Obama. And he sees Barack Obama as having been a cultural Marxist. Well, there are people that didn't like Barack Obama probably because they were racists. There are people that didn't like Barack Obama, like me, because I didn't like his policies and I saw where he was leading our country and we're dealing with the aftermath of that. So you've got two countries right now, is what you've got, that are they're uneasy with one another at the very best. They're on the verge of civil war at the worst. And one of them could easily be represented by Obama. One could easily be represented by Trump. And then there's many of us who are in the middle. 
who I didn't hate Obama, I don't like Trump, but I'm smart enough to see the things that are going on and the decisions that are being made and what benefits who here, right? The point I'm trying to get across is not about Obama and it's not about Trump. It's about the fact that when Obama was president, there were people that didn't respect his authority. And so there was disorder. Now that Trump is president, there are a lot of people, and this is being led. Now there's, there's a, there are leaders in the media and uh, in other areas that openly disrespect him. And as a result, you have disorder. There has to be authority for there to be order. And something that I'm going to say Sunday, uh, if not this Sunday, at some point, I, I want to say this. All authority is moral authority. An immoral authority is not respected. And this is the problem with many of the, the, the mean, hateful things that Trump says about people, right? Is it doesn't put him in a position of moral authority, so people don't want to hear and they don't want to listen to him. So it's not just political. So these things that we say, well, you know, I wish he wouldn't do that, but, well, these things could be construed as immoral. You can't. You can't make fun of people like you. You can't call people names like that. That's just, it's not moral, right? And so as the result, a lack of morality is a lack of authority. People don't respect that, and they don't listen to that. The riots, what happened to George Floyd doesn't justify rioting and burning things down, but the reason for that is because when you have immoral cops People who already have a problem with police are not going to feel compelled in the least to obey them. So people in authority, those of us in authority, police and others in authority would be wise to police our own and not just cover up for people. So why did, why did priests cover up for pedophiles for so many years, right? Why do cops cover up for cops that do all this crap? And they do it all the time. They build a blue wall and they automatically knee-jerk react and protect. No, you don't protect somebody that's doing something like that. Let's just, let's, let's take it to law, right? It doesn't need to be tried in the media. It's none of their business. We don't know what went on in these situations, right? We can look and we can see certain things and we can make certain determinations, but we don't know everything that went on. That's why we have courts. That's why we have juries. That's why we have judges. Let the system work, right? And if for some reason the system doesn't work, then we vote and we put people in who will fix the system. We don't go out and, you know, steal TVs from Target. I mean, seriously, and burn down a police station and, you know, make, make 10 square blocks of Seattle our own anarchy or whatever. And, and apparently at least two people have been shot in that area. What? This is a complete breakdown in authority. When you have authority and authority is respected, you don't have these problems. Now, we've had plenty of problems in this country in the past, but because there was an overall respect for authority in earlier times, I have heard it said that Martin Luther King's protests would not work today because people don't have the same kind of conscience that they had when MLK was protesting, that there wouldn't be the respect that people had for him, that there wouldn't be the turning of hearts, uh, because that's what happened. He turned the hearts of the country toward him because he, it was peaceful protest. I mean, those people were getting you know, blistered with fire hoses and beaten with billy clubs and everything else, and they were willing to endure it so that they could change this. And now what we have is people turning over police cars and burning, you know, stores. And uh, who are you hurting? Who do you think you're helping? See, this is, this is a breakdown in authority, and it begins with the father and the husband in the home. It really, really does. So... I think that that's important for us to understand. All right, now I love these next verses, and I believe we will get through them. Um, this is my intent to do verses 8 through 12 uh, today, and then we'll do the next block next time. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For, quote, whoever desires law, excuse me, whoever desires 
to love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right? So what we have here is uh, at the end of this, the, the lengthy part of this is actually a quote from Psalm 34. I want to say it starts with about verse 14. But let's go back up and look. It says that we need to have unity of mind. So uh, as Craig prayed two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and I've mentioned a couple of times, unity is not the same as uniformity. And there's a real tendency right now for those that are on the, the side of what I call the totalitarian left to want everybody to say the same thing, think the same thing. You're not allowed to have another opinion. And this is what we have happening on Google. This is what we have happening on Facebook. Uh, Google owns YouTube, YouTube, right? You are not allowed to have another opinion or they will simply delete your post. They will simply delete your video. And this is happening all the time. So there were some videos that were posted. There was a, a, a short little movie that was posted uh, called Plandemic, and it, it went viral. There was like you know, millions of views, and they immediately took it down. No, 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 you're not allowed to have this opinion. Uh, you're scared of information? You're scared of someone having an opinion? This, that, friend, is communism. That's like the USSR. That is, they want to control everybody's thinking. What we're dealing with right now, I'm going to be honest with you, it's brainwashing. That's what we're seeing. This is brainwashing. Everybody must think alike or we will not allow you to have, a, we won't allow you to say anything. I'm sorry, that's, that's, that's uniformity, right? And it doesn't matter which side gains control, that's uniformity. Now, this is something that I found interesting that um, Vadi Bakum said as well, and this relates to the, the issue of uh, so-called race. Um, you know, I have said many times, and, and I'm kind of trying to back myself down off of this after listening to what he had to say, but I've said many times, I just really don't see color. I, not, I don't say, oh, well, you're a black person. Oh, you're a brown person. You're, you're Mexican or you're... I mean, that's not what I see. But if that means that I don't appreciate someone's culture, if I don't appreciate that they are different than me, that I'm just trying to wipe out those differences, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that either. We are different. And I appreciate different cultures, right? I don't have to like your music or like your food in order to like you. You know, I, I, you know, I was talking to our, our, our young people. There, there's a tendency in these young folks right now to wear ripped jeans. I just, yeah, I'm old now officially. I don't get it. Oh, why would you wear ripped jeans? You know, but I joke with them about it. That doesn't mean that I hate you and think that there's something wrong with you because you wear ripped jeans, right? Um, but the, I'm just using something very minor to show that sometimes things that are minor like that are made into major issues. So when I first started going to the church that, uh, where I met you, Sue, I, um, and I was the youth minister there and had been the youth minister there for maybe six months, we were still meeting in the church building on Sunday nights. We had yet to move to the rock and have our own youth thing. And so the teenagers all sat over, if you're facing the stage, they all sat over on the left. Okay, and uh, there was a young man that was sitting there in the youth group, and he was blessed because his mother also attended the church. Um, not all of my teenagers were like that. In fact, increasingly, we were able to get a lot of kids whose parents didn't go to church to come to church. So a lot of times you would see, especially after we were at The Rock, a lot of kids who were there and their parents didn't go to our church. That didn't mean we didn't want them to. That's just they had their own thing going and, you know, they went. But this young man's mother did go to our church. There was an older man, uh, and I had just begun to get to know some of the older people at this church, and there was an older man that approached me, and he was incensed. He said, there is a young man over there wearing a hat. And I looked over, and, and the kid was. He was wearing a hat. But I noticed he was sitting 
and his mom was sitting a row either in front or behind him, and she had just reached over and she'd, you know, whispered in his ear or whatever to take off the hat. And so he started taking off his hat. And I said, I believe that's been taken care of. That man never spoke to me again. Because a teenager was wearing a hat in church. This is why I'm saying sometimes minor issues or what should be minor issues get blown up into major issues. They're really cultural differences. That man comes from a culture where you took your hat off in respect when you're in the house of the Lord. And I understand that. And I honor that. I think that that's, I, I really do. I honor that. But if I'm older, I should have more understanding, not less understanding, right? So I remember in the 90s, it was all about tattoos and earrings. You know, this round and round. Should, you know, as Christians, should we be able to have tattoos and earrings? And to me, it just doesn't matter, man. You know, I was a youth minister, so, you know, I bleached my hair and wore hoop earrings. All right. And then later, after I left that church that we're talking about and started my own church, I got a tattoo. I have one on each arm. I told people, if you're going to get a tattoo, it should be something that could decorate a church. Well, these are not the, uh, the most artsy tattoos in the world, but they're something that you could put on a stained glass window in a church. I have a crown of thorns and uh, three nails on one arm. And I have a phoenix bird on the other arm. I'm from Phoenix. Phoenix is a symbol of resurrection from the early church, right? So that's my rationale behind that. Um, but the point is, these are cultural differences, but sometimes they just, they become these huge divide. Why don't we simply respect the differences that other people have and don't presume that everybody, if you're a male, you need to have short hair, no tattoos, no earrings, be what I would consider clean cut, and this is still the standard in some places, right? We need to appreciate the differences, but that also means, and this is why I'll come to our church, and you know, I don't wear shorts very often anymore just because I don't want people to see my old white legs, but um, <laughs> in any event, um, but I want, I'll wear shorts sometimes, I'll wear a suit, I'll wear a jacket, I'll wear, you know, and when we had Vernon here, you know, I wanted him to feel comfortable dressing up because that, you know, that was his style or whatever. Let's appreciate our differences. There are cultural differences in age. There are cultural differences with different ethnicities. So I'm not trying to say, well, I don't see color, so you know, your differences don't matter. No, they matter. That's what makes you you. But what we need to see is that different cultures also carry sin. Now, I'm responsible for mine. Okay, and I know that there's racism within the culture that I come from. And I've divested myself of that and divorced myself of that. And I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's the responsibility of anyone from any particular. If there are uh, cultural norms, cultural values that are sinful, then you have a responsibility to repent of those. Now, as I said Sunday, once you have done that, you're not responsible for the sins of your parents or your grandparents or your ancestors. Um, if you've trained your kids up in the fear and admonition of Christ and they go out and commit crimes, you don't have to have a guilt trip over it. That's not your fault. People are individuals and they make their own decisions. Now, you know, we like it or we don't like it, but man, kids are just individuals. And those of you that have had kids, you know, they come out of the womb individuals. They're like, okay, they're just, you know, I watch other people's kids and see that. They're just, they're different. That's good, right? Unity means we have a, a, a purpose that we're all pursuing. Unity means that we're under overall that one authority, which is God, right? Unity means we're all in possession of the same Holy Spirit. So we can be unified even though we're different, right? Right, and he says, have unity of mind, sympathy. Well, there's a lot of that lacking today, right? It's basically, we just demonize the opposition. I'm not saying we, the people in this room, but there's a real tendency to just want to treat those on the other side as, they're just evil. They're just evil. No, they're just people. And people are inherently prideful, self-centered. And as the result, they go after what benefits them. And that may or may not benefit you. 
But if I have sympathy for you, if I have empathy, even more importantly for you, it makes me develop something that is lacking oftentimes, but not always, and that is consideration. That's where I think of what is happening in someone else. So I, I had something rare happen to me today, and I was being kind of a, a, a selfish person. Um, there is a crosswalk in the middle. It's kind of in the middle of the street over here um, on, uh, on State Street that goes right across over to uh, Intrinsic. And I almost always walk down the sidewalk and go across that sidewalk. Now, what I ought to do is just cross here at the intersection because there's more, it's more likely people will pay attention to that one. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I, well, I told you guys a ways back, I was jogging and the, one of the Garland Marshals almost ran me down on the crosswalk over here, just not paying attention. I'm in the crosswalk, you know. Um, but I've, I've walked across this crosswalk before and had people just, I mean, I'm in the crosswalk and they'll just about run me over. They're just going to keep on driving. So this guy was just barreling on and I... I gave him one of those stairs, you know, that stair, that hard cold stair that like, you better slow down, that stair. And he did, and he said, and then as I went across the street, he rolled his window down and he said, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. I didn't know. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So then there's the opposite. I'm in the Christian bookstore today. Um, oh, Lord. <laughs> yep. I'm going to preach on the, on the full armor of God on Sunday. I'm, I, I am going to talk about righteousness, but I'm going to incorporate that into the breastplate of righteousness. I've been wanting to talk about spiritual warfare for a couple of weeks. So I bought a, a set of armor that, it's all plastic kids stuff. Um, and I've already talked to Craig and Craig's gonna dress Asher up in this armor as I teach it, okay? And so, you know, I've got this, you know, this big box of the full armor of God and then I've got our bulletins for Sunday, which nobody takes. And, um, there's a lady up there, and she's got this cross um, that she's buying. And I guess it was supposed to be some discount or something. And, I'm, and they're just sitting there forever, flipping through her phone and flipping through her phone and flipping through her phone. And I'm just I'm thinking, how long am I going to stand here and wait for you guys to figure out that you just don't know where that is? You know? And several times she was like, oh, I'm sorry. That's irrelevant if you don't do anything about it. Sorry doesn't mean anything. If you simply say, don't worry about it, here, just, you know, take it back or, you know, charge it or whatever, that's okay. Then we move on. But it's a lack of consideration. I'm not thinking about what someone else is feeling and what they're going through and doing something about it. Consideration is essential. And I think that that is the, the outflow. Sympathy often for us just means, you know, oh, man, I'm sorry. I feel for you. But that can be really useless. If you don't do anything about it, then what, what, does, what does that even mean, right? But I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Um, real sympathy results in us acting in accordance with the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. See, sympathy is me identifying with you and saying, yeah, gosh, I feel you. If I were in that situation, this is how you know, I would feel. So I'm feeling that. So that's, we have to put ourselves in someone else's. To say do unto others the way you would have them do unto you, then I have to be considerate, right? But sympathy really takes it the next step. I can just be self-centered and say, you know what? Yeah, if I were you, I'd want this to be done. But sympathy is now trying to walk in your shoes, okay? It's, you know, what Atticus Finch told uh, uh, Scout. You know, you need to get in another man's skin and walk around in it. That's, that's what we need to do, and that's what this is talking about, okay? Brotherly love. Well, this is love for fellow believers, and that's really what sympathy results in. You act in the best interest of the other person, and that's love, right? Brotherly love is believers caring for one another, and we're told to do that over and over again. Um, tenderhearted. People are becoming calloused today. Uh, this is the result of being self-centered. This is the result of lawlessness. Uh, you know, I think uh, on, in the, uh, the uh, eschatological discourse, big, big term for what Jesus said about the end times when he was on the Mount of Olives in the eschatological discourse, Jesus said, in the end, most people's uh, love will grow cold because they will be lawless. 
Well, lawlessness just means I want to do things my way. I don't want anybody to be able to tell me what to do, right? So it's interesting how those, those things interact, right? But ultimately, this is all about being selfish, and selfishness causes me ultimately to be callous, right? Um, I love this verse. I, I memorized it in uh, the New International Version, the 1984 version. It says, having lost all sense of sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That's Ephesians 4.19. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about being callous. As a matter of fact, NASB translates it, and they, having become calloused, have given themselves over to sensuality. Well, the lexical definition of the Greek word uh, apologio, which is translated lost all sensitivity or callous, um, is this, to be so inured that one is not bothered by the implications of what one is doing, become callous, dead to feeling. Isn't it interesting that when I focus on my feelings, I become dead to feeling? Wow. If all I do is pursue pleasure, it becomes decreasingly pleasurable. This is why people have to drink more and more and more, take more and more and more of this drug. This is why uh, their sexual appetites become increasingly warped and disturbed because I'm pursuing this all for me. And you, you become, you, as we would say, you get used to it, okay? Um, your body wants homeostasis. It doesn't want the extremes, Okay, so inevitably, if you are, um, if you're taking a certain medication, your body will get used to it. You have to switch medications. You have to up the dose, and then you have to you have to gut it out and just go off it altogether and deal with not having it for a period of time. Right? Um, this is what happens to the heart. This is certainly what we see in our world today. So, what do we do to get a tender heart? You invite Jesus to take control of your heart. Jesus in your heart, yeah, that really means something other than just a, a concept in your head. You choose to love him above anything or anyone else. Now, you choose. That doesn't mean you feel. I've heard people say, you know, I, would, I, would, I want to love God, but I just don't feel it. No, love is a choice. It's a decision, right? I choose to love God. I choose to praise God. I choose to bless him. And then when the Holy Spirit comes in, that's Jesus in our heart, then as it says in Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. The love of God fills us up, and that is what changes us utterly and completely. And the next thing he says is that we need to have a humble mind. Pride is the need to be above others. That's the, the opposite of humility. And when I need to be above other people, it makes me want to put them down if I feel like they are somehow above me. Have you ever noticed what the, the look, the haughty look of pride is? It's this. Now, why is it this? Why is it that? I'm putting myself in a position of looking down, right? I'm cocking my head up so I can look down at you, right? Humility is this. Notice the difference. I'm looking down and up. When I elevate myself above other people, then I become aggravated and agitated when they seek to compete with me and be above me. This is the problem that we have with our number one politician today and many others. They cannot stand to have anybody who opposes them or who seeks to be above them. It's pride. That's what it is. That's the essence of it all. But Paul commanded, honor one another above yourselves in Romans 12.10. Jesus inverted all values related to pride. On several occasions, the Lord taught that in order to be great, his followers must be willing to be last and servant of all. Listen to what he said this is in Mark 9, 33 through 37. This is the Christian Standard Bible translation. They came to Capernaum, 
When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Can you imagine that? I can. These are adults. And they're arguing like kids. Well, of course, they're also men. I just don't, I don't see women in a group arguing over who's the greatest, you know. Men, I can see that. But this, this is just very childish, right? Which is interesting. It's very childish. And what did Jesus do to teach them? Um, let's see. Uh, hang on, let me find my place here. But they were silent because on the way they'd been arguing about one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He took a child and had him stand among them. And this would be a little child. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one child such as this in my name welcomes me, and whoever wel welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Jesus was showing that they need to be childlike, not childish, but childlike. Kids can be mean. They can be very proud. They can be very competitive. They're not sinful and innocent, okay? They're afflicted with the same disease as all of us, but they're naturally dependent. They have to have an adult. They have to look up to you. They don't have a choice, right? There's the, the humility of a child is necessary, right? Not only, you know, because they're dependent, but because an obnoxious kid is not going to get what he wants, right? So there's a lot of self-promotion going on today. Uh, we all have our audience on social media. We look for followers and we look for likes. We post to get attention. And there's a great deal of boasting with some. The proverb wisely reminds us not to praise ourselves. Listen to what it says. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Sometimes I feel like in my effort to continue to promote this church and to promote the gospel, it just looks like self-promotion because I'm the pastor and I'm doing most of the stuff, right? And so I just think, you know what? I, that's not what I want it to look like. It's really not what I want it to appear to be. And I know that my motives are, can be selfish and proud just like anybody else's motives. Of course, I would like more people. I, I, you know, I would like to have a greater audience. I would like to have more respect. I would like to have all of these things. But that constant need to look at individuals and not numbers, all right, can retrain uh, my thinking. And then I've just got to look at other people. And then we're going to see when we get to chapter 5 here, um, that uh, he says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may raise you up at the proper time. So my job is not to, uh, to promote myself. My job is to humble myself and to let God promote me and to let God exalt me, right? Uh, in fact, I like Psalm 75, 7. It says, uh, no, one can, uh, no one can promote anyone except the Lord, essentially, is what it says. Uh, only the Lord can promote someone from the east or from the west or from the, uh, or from the wilderness. He exalts one and he debases another. So I'm looking for the Lord to exalt, not uh, to be put in a position where, it's got to, where I've got to be debased, certainly. And then he says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That's certainly what we saw with these riots, isn't it? It's just simply repaying evil for evil, right? And then, you know, it just depends on who you listen to, uh, but I, within week, well, maybe it was probably days, but it was probably a couple of weeks later, I immediately see people gaslighting George Floyd. Oh, he was not a good man. So that means that he deserved what he got because in your estimation, he's not a good man. Well, he was trying to pass off a fake $20 bill. Was he? I don't know. But that's certainly a grotesque overreaction to that, if that is indeed the case, you know. Or there were, uh, they're gaslighting his, his autopsy report. Well, he didn't really die of suffocation. There were heart, blah, blah, blah. You know, you think he would have just died standing there? 
No, this is, see, this is this constant need to be right rather than just look at the situation and respond to it. I didn't immediately respond to that because I had already backed off of social media. And so, in fact, it was Wednesday. I Remember the Wednesday that I talked about protest? And I was referring to the COVID-19 issue. I had said uh, because of the, uh, uh, the fellow that was chased down by the two good old Georgia boys uh, in the back of the pickup with the shotgun, Ahmad Arbery, I think was his name. That gets gaslighted as well. Well, he walked around and, you know, he was in a, in a house that he shouldn't have been in. It was a house that was under construction. So that means that he deserves to have these guys chase him down with a shotgun and blow him away. No, I'm sorry. This is, uh-uh. Well, I responded to that, but I didn't respond to the George Floyd situation because I noticed, I didn't know all of the, the ramifications that were, that were going on, like the 70 police officers that surrounded uh, Derek Chauvin's house and wouldn't let him be arrested initially, whatever. I just noted that they immediately fired him and that they arrested him for murder. I, okay, well, let's let the justice system work. I don't need to immediately post 17 things. Now, I posted stuff about this Arbery fellow because that went for two and a half months and nothing happened. They murdered a guy out there on the street and nothing happened. There's something deeply, desperately, darkly wrong with that, right? Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't care if the guy did rob a house. You don't have a right to chase him down the street with your bubba and your guns and gun him down. Well, citizens are raised. Citizens are raised. You know what? I don't care. That's not, that's not my responsibility. Now, if they break into your house, that's a different story, right? What did, in fact, happen? Well, there's some video of him inside an, uh, an unfinished. So what? I did that when I was a kid. What would have happened? What would have happened if some dude would have chased me down with a gun? Well, hopefully I would have been a kid and I would have just frozen right there. We don't repay evil for evil. It doesn't do any good, right? This is the same message as, uh, you know, earlier when you heard me say that, that we don't seek revenge. We don't treat evil people the way they treat us. We don't treat evil people the way they treat other people. If you're disrespected or shown contempt, refuse to lower yourself to the same level. Be honorable, turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus said, and that's tough to do. By the way, you know, you might say, oh, well, I know you teach karate. Hell, what do you do about that turn the other cheek thing? Turn the other cheek is about an offense. It's about being slapped. Now, there is nothing that will make me want to hit somebody more than having them hit me in the face. That's going to make me want to knock you out. But Jesus said, turn the other cheek. That means that I don't choose to take that offense to heart, right? And that takes a lot more strength than just to start and screaming and get into a fight, all right? Um, if a response is necessary, then make certain that it focuses on the facts and not the person. Ad hominem attacks are commonplace. People don't deal in facts anymore. They just hate on each other and attack each other personally. You prove nothing when you attack the person, you prove nothing but your own lack of evidence and lack of character. When you attack a person, when in disagreement. If someone close to you, whom you know well speaks against you publicly, seek to reconcile with them, but do it privately. If you are in a position to admonish someone else, do it privately, not publicly. Admonish them privately, praise them publicly. That's what we need to do. Um, all right, then he says, but on the contrary, bless. So instead of, uh, of returning reviling for reviling and evil for evil, we bless. For this, to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So the word translated blessing here is eulogia, which literally means to speak well. It's where we get our word eulogy. The eulogy at a funeral is the, the time where you speak well of that person. So everything has become a memorial service these days, and um, it seems to be there's less of a formality, and uh, more and more people prefer that. And so there will be a lot of people that will speak words of, of you know, goodness and kindness and how they remembered that person, all right? 
And that really takes the place of the formal eulogy, which is one person delivering that. What I like to do, in, if it's a funeral and it's a more formal setting, uh, is something that I, I really encountered recently and I think it's very wise, is you collect the remarks from all the people who want to make those comments. And then you have somebody that is an experienced speaker read those remarks. It flows much more smoothly. Uh, you know, you're less likely to have someone that just keeps circling the wagons and saying the same things over and over and, uh, or somebody that breaks down and is unable to continue. And there's just lots of things like that, which by the way, I will let you know, I intend to do a memorial segment in our service on the 26th for Vernon because we never got to do anything for him. And so uh, it's not going to be a memorial service, just that service. It's just going to be, there's a segment and that's two days after his birthday. That's why his birthday will be on Friday. No, July. July, 26th of July. Um, so his birthday will be on Friday the 24th. He would have turned 97. And so uh, if you know there are those of you here that would like to uh, make some remarks, then uh, I'll let you either do that or I'll let you probably submit them and have Craig read them. Um, but we, that's, that's the idea. But we don't need to wait until someone dies to eulogize them. We should be doing that all the time, right? Speak blessings over people. Speak well of them, right? Listen, people annoy us all the time. You know they do. I annoy you. I'm sure I do, okay? We annoy each other. But we have to overlook that, right? We have to overlook the annoyances, and we have to choose to focus on the positives. We have to choose to, to speak well of one another. If we could just do that... Yeah, life well becomes a transformative place because people come in here and they, they feel loved and they feel cared for. You know, wow, those, those people, you know, sometimes it's just, it's as simple as, as you, it's something you learn when you're very young. People are either nice or mean. So be nice and don't be mean. It's about that simple, right? Um, let's see. So the, the word uh, means literally to speak well. In Christ, you and I look forward to the day when we will hear our Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, look, you bless other people. That's what you're called to because you're going to obtain a blessing. Well, the blessing is the Lord speaking well of us, right? The Lord's saying, well done. I can't imagine anything better than that. That's what judgment day is for us when we're in Christ. It is receiving a reward for the life we've lived for the Lord. And that's why I believe there'll be no tears in heaven, but there, I think there'll be tears shed at the judgment bar of Christ. There'll be plenty of people standing there with nothing to offer. And they're going to get in because of Jesus. But they're going to have no reward, nothing to offer. I mean, the reward is heaven, certainly. But the beauty of the reward is knowing that, you know, you've been a blessing to the Lord, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, we will each receive what we deserve for the good and the evil we've done in, the, in this earthly body. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. In Christ, I become like Christ, and I long to hear the words that the Father spoke to his only begotten. In Christ, I become like Christ. And what did Jesus say? Excuse me, what did the Father say to Jesus? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In Christ, I want to hear that. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the real blessing. All right, and then these last, uh, last verses, these are all from Psalm 34. Um, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And we need to realize that. The evil, the wicked, their day is coming. That same judgment day, yeah, recompense is coming. That's why you and I don't need to take revenge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Rather be kind to your enemy and it will be as heaping hot coals upon his head, right? So the quotation from Psalm 34, interestingly, Psalm 34, sagging from where Peter said, uh, you need to bless because 
you were called to obtain a blessing. Psalm 34 begins with, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So I'm seeking a blessing from the Lord. I need to be a blessing to the Lord all the time. I'm a complainer. I whine and moan and complain to the Lord all the time. And I need to be reminded to speak well of the Lord and to the Lord. That's, that's important. In order to bless other people, we need to have a positive attitude toward God. Speak well of him, praise him, thank him. He's not to blame for the ills and evils of the world, and complaining is unproductive, even destructive. So, do you want to love life and see good days? Don't lie. Turn away from evil. Choose to do good. Seek peace with all people. Pursue it. Now, some people are implacable. That means they will have no peace. I always try to make peace with people, and when they continue hitting back and hating back, I just leave them to themselves. I have people whose numbers I've had to block, and they still have my number, and they get a new number, and then they send me hateful texts, or they create an alternate uh, name on Facebook and send me something you know, hateful once again. And, you know, I just I don't fire back. I just let them be. There are people out there that are hurting, but they, they revel in it. They, they seem to want to hurt. That's their identity. Their wound has become their identity. And they don't want to be healed. They want to be hurt because that's how they get attention, being the hurt person, being the angry person, right? And yeah, it takes a change of thinking in order to, to do that. But we, our job is to seek peace, right? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So we seek peace. We pursue it with all that we are. Um, for me, maybe not for you, I just need to try to uh, seek not to be right all the time. I know when I'm right, but I don't have to prove that to you. And I need to be willing to receive reproof and rebuke and hear the other side right? And not just prove that I'm right and then move on. Um, if you offend, be the first to apologize. If your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go make things right with your brother. That's what Jesus said. Be careful stepping into the middle of a fight or a conflict with other people. I told you about this stupid thing that I did out here. You know, this guy is, you know, looks like he's going to start a fight. Miss Annette was sitting right there in the, in, in the deal. And the guy just got right in my face. He was the nastiest individual I have been around in a long, long time. Well, I later found out he's a lawyer. He would have loved to have me push back or do something because he just sued me. He's just apparently just kind of a nasty person, right? It's just not wise to get in the middle of what two people are doing. You got to pray. And I didn't pray. I was like, I, I can make this right. I'm a man of God. You know, and I just end up making a mess. So, um, yeah, so we need to understand, uh, he says that uh, uh, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, right? But the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, right? So my righteousness is from Christ. But that righteousness, that right standing with God produces a change in nature, a change in character, which will result in me being righteous. And there's lots of good promises for the righteous in the Word.